0: Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman and child that calls this church family home to be a part of connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, it's so good to be with you guys um, this weekend. As uh, as John mentioned, we're we're jumping into John chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter five, looking at the verse uh, twenty verses there. Essentially, what we have is um, Jesus. He has left. In fact, there will be an image up on the screen here, kind of a map where you can see what's going on. Jesus has left Capernaum which is sort of the hub of his ministry. This is where Peter's mother-in-law lives. And and they go across the river um, to Gentile territory, and they're going to Gerasa and encounters a really kind of weird person there, weird event that that happens. And um, they go across. There's this demon-possessed man who's living among the tombs Uh, self-harm, cutting himself, uh, he's naked, Luke tells us. And um, then, you remember the pigs thing? cast out the demon, the pigs, and drowning. It's weird. It's just such a weird passage. But um, before I read this text, I'll just tell you about a little conversation I had with Pastor Donnie, who who I know many of you know. We were talking about the weekly sermons, and, and he said, have you realized how many weeks were part of our story encounters demons and unclean spirits. And I was like, I haven't really thought about it. He's like, go look. And so I went back and I just scanned through the first even three chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and there are seven different separate encounters or some sort of accounts of a demon or unclean spirit. That's the language that's used, either demons or unclean spirits. In this, And so this morning, here's, here's what I would like to do. I want to address at least four different questions with this text that oftentimes aren't asked. Number one, what's the origin of demons? Where do they come from, biblically speaking? Number two, why is it that as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, these unclean spirits or demons are like popping out from behind every bush? Have you ever noticed that? How many times do you see him in the Old Testament? What is it about Jesus' coming that they are so prevalent? And number three, in this particular passage, why is it that Jesus almost appears to bargain with the unclean spirits? Because he's gonna send them out and they go, wait, wait, send us over there into the pigs. And he allows. And then number four, what's the deal with the pigs? <laughs> like what's the significance? of that, and by answering these four questions, I would submit to you that what's going to emerge is number one, a fuller picture of who is this Jesus? What's he doing? What's what's his identity? And number two, how ought we think about our own orientation to intelligent supernatural evil? because we encounter it in this passage, okay? So let's jump to the passage. Mark chapter five, verse one, we read this. They, meaning Jesus and his apprentices, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an, now this is, store this phrase away, an unclean spirit. for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there by the hillside and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what was happening. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg, Jesus, to depart from their region. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him and said to him, go home, tell your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvel. Weird story, right? <laughs> uh, I think it's weird. I think it's a really weird story. Here's what I wanna do. Let me take kind of like a 40,000 foot view to start with and, and talk about this idea of what are demons? What are they? Where do they come from? What's their origin? Because we've encountered them, like I said, more than seven times just, in these first couple chapters, and we're going to continue encountering them. So how are we to understand an unclean spirit or a demon? And they have other kinds of names as well. I would would suggest that the stock Christian answer, if you ask your average, what are demons? Uh, Most people would say, oh, they're fallen angels. No. (laughs) That's, that's, That's folk theology. That's not biblical theology, what demons are. These are not the same thing that Paul gives language to. For instance, when he says rulers, powers, thrones, authorities, principalities, all that language. Do you remember that if you've ever come across Paul's? That's not these guys. Those are, those are separate bad guys. What we tend to do is conflate them. Uh, any of you guys like uh, 1950s Western? If I say white hats and black hats who am I talking about? Good guys and bad guys. We tend to do that with these guys. Angels and demons. Good good. That's conflating what in the biblical text is much more layered and nuanced. These demons are not those guys. So where do they come from? Well, as as John was mentioning, we've got to go back to his 1977 paper. Well, at least the text that it was based on. <laughs> Genesis 6. I don't, I don't think his paper will be very helpful based on the professor's comments. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. It's a weird passage to us. It wasn't to the ancient world because they had context for it. <clears throat> but this is, where, this is where, if we're going to go back to what are demons, well, this is the beginning point. Okay? Genesis chapter 6 verses one through four. This account, these four verses, explain why God is sending the flood, okay? Verse one, when man began to multiply in the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, we'll figure that out in a second here, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose And the Lord, Yahweh, God, said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. It could be translated contend with, deal with man forever. For he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. Now because of that event, explains verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children, to them. These, the Nephilim, were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Weird, right? (laughs) That's bizarre. First question we might want to know is, who are the sons of God? Who are they? Well, just like God has a human family, us, and we are to be his imagers in this physical world, God has a supernatural family, who are to be his imagers in the supernatural world. And some of them, the language that's used to refer to this group, the sons of God, just like we are family members. Uh, The book of Job uh, talks about, I mean, they're talked about throughout the Old Testament. I'll just give you a couple examples. Do you remember Job 1? you remember how it starts out, the book of Job? We read this, Job 1, 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. This is God's divine counsel. It's his supernatural family, you might say. Um, Another question. Who was with with God before he created the earth? Well, Job 38 tells us. uh, Jesus, or... uh, uh, the father, God is asking Job, like, oh, you think you know everything? You think you, like, have it all figured out? And he says, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. God's supernatural, divine, unembodied family, these beings, were with him at creation. These are God's, you might think of them as supernatural imagers. We're human imagers. They're supernatural imagers of God. So here's the question. Now, what happened to this particular group of the sons of God who rebelled in Genesis 6, who went into the daughters of men and produced the Nephilim, these giants, and I like, was like, what happened to them? Well, Peter tells us. He knew. 2 Peter 2, 4, we read this. For if God did not spare the <clears throat> angels who sinned, these supernatural beings, but held them captive in Tartarus, we'll talk a little bit about what Tartarus is, with chains of darkness and handed them over to be kept for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So we know what he's talking about. He's talking about the flood. He's talking about this group from Genesis 6, 1 through 4. They are in Tartarus. This is the classical Greek word for the abyss. And they're stuck there. They can't leave. Um, Jude, also in the New Testament, tells us, verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy Darkness until the day of judgment. <clears throat> the great day. <clears throat> now, this, this story is not unique to the Israelite mind. Um, if you were to go to the Greek world, they have the same story. Um, there's a group of guys, they're not the sons of God, but they're called. Um, anyone know the Denzel Washington movie called Remember the? There you go. a great movie, right? The Titans. Who are the Titans? They're giants. What happened to them? They are sent to Tartarus enchained chained there. Same story. Uh, if you go to the Mesopotamian culture, the Babylonians have their story too. It's not, it's not Titans, it's not Sons of God, it's the Apkallu. The Apkallu are these divine beings who create these giants on earth. As a result, the Apkallu are sent to the abyss and they're chained there, okay? Now, the interpretation from these different cultures are radically different. Babylonians think the Apkallu are awesome. They're like rock stars. It's because of the Apkallu that Babylonians say They're the ones who gave us our culture. That's why Babylonians are better than other people. (laughs) The Greeks, Israel says, this was horrible. This was awful. This added to human destruction. It, It sped up human depravity. This was not a good thing. But the store, the recognition of this happening is cross cultural to the ancient world. So, <clears throat> this particular group, the sons of God, they're sent to Tartarus, they're locked they're there, they're in the abyss. What happened to their offspring? The Nephilim, the giant clans. Well, in the Old Testament, their offspring, the giant clans, become a lethal force to the nation of Israel. And you probably know this if you've you've read much of the Old Testament before. For instance, um, Numbers chapter 13. Do you know when Israel comes out of slavery in Egypt, the Exodus, do you remember where they're sent to go? They go to Mount Sinai, and then after that, they're sent to go to Canaan, the promised land, right? And they're gonna be given that why don't they enter the promised land? has to do with this. Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. Twelve spies go in, right, representing each one of the 12. Twelve come out. Two of them give a positive report. Ten give this report. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is the land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of, what? Great height, they're giants. And there we saw the Nephilim, Genesis 6. The sons of Anak, they're called the Anakim, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. The giant clans... When in Genesis 6, what they're doing, or I should say the, the sons of God, what they're doing, they're attempting to make imagers of themselves. See, Genesis 1 and 2, what has God done? He has made humans as his image bearers. What are these supernatural divine sons of God doing? They're making their own imagers, their own image bearers, who become a lethal threat to God's imagers and so this is why God commands Israel, as you go in this land, you wipe them out. You eradicate them from the land of Canaan. <clears throat> and they do that. By the time of David, of King David, they finally wipe them out. Of course, we know that story, right? Who is it that David fights? It's not just a big guy versus little guy story. If, if that's all you think of as going on, you're, you're, you're missing what's happening. This is David and his group finally carrying out what was commanded of Israel to wipe out the Nephilim, to wipe out this group of imagers of the divine sons of God who attempted to rebel. Are you ready for the weird part? You're like, I thought that was the weird part. Oh, no, that was weird. Are you ready for the really weird part about what the Bible teaches? Because I think this is weird. I just do. The consistent Jewish belief was that when you killed a giant clan member, it could be the Nephilim or the uh, Anakim or the Rephaim, whatever name they might go by, their spirits would go to the underworld. That's where all spirits went. Then that's not that weird. But they weren't stuck there. Remember, the sons of God, they're in chains of gloomy darkness. They're stuck there. These spirits were not stuck there. Instead, these spirits are the demons of the gospels. And you're like, "That's weird." <laughs> I know it is. I totally agree. <clears throat> but this is the Jewish understanding. Let me let me put it kind of in this f- format to kind of m- maybe help make sense of it. If you went to a uh, First century, Jesus' time, there are Jewish um, sects, groups. You've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees, you have the Sanhedrin, you have the Essenes, you know, the Qumran community. You've got tons of sects of Jews. They disagree about everything. Some of them thought there's going to be a resurrection. Others thought there's no resurrection. Some of them thought only the first five books should be in the Bible. Others thought, no, all 39 of these books should be in the Bible. Some of them said we should use this calendar. Others said, no, we need to use it. They disagreed about anything and everything. Can divorce be for any reason or only this co- They disagreed about everything. Guess what one issue they had complete solidarity on? This right here. Every single Jewish sect understood the demons who we encounter the Gospels <clears throat> to be the disembodied spirits of the giant clans. That's how they understood them uniformly, like across the board. That's how they understood them. Let me let me read for you a passage from a uh, Jewish book. This is not inspired. It's not the Bible. Okay, it's just Jewish, uh, almost commentary on Genesis six. It's called First Enoch. First Enoch chapter fifteen. <clears throat> we read <clears throat> this. Um, And he, that is God in this story, he answered and said to me, go to the watchers of heaven. Uh, That's uh, later Jewish language for these sons of God. Watchers, sons of God. Go to these watchers of heaven, the rebellious sons of God. Um, Wherefore have ye left the high, holy, eternal heaven and lain with women, defiled yourselves with the daughters of men and taken to yourselves wives, and done like the children of earth, and begotten giants as your sons. Verse eight, and now the giants, their sons, their offspring, who are produced from the spirits and the flesh shall be called evil spirits on the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies because they were born from men and from the holy watchers is their beginning and their primal origin. <clears throat> they shall be evil spirits on earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits in heaven, in heaven shall they shall be their dwelling. As for the spirits on earth, which were born upon the earth, the earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants, this is their job description. Okay. Tell me what this sounds like. They will afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. Isn't that weird? That's so bizarre to me. But that's what every Jew, every Jewish sect believed. That's what the writers of the New Testament believed as they wrote about and thought about demons and unclean spirits or evil spirits. And it's consistent. If you go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, you could go to again as we looked at First Enoch here. There's a book called the Book of Jubilees, Second Baruch. They all speak of demons. Guess how? Uh, guess what they call uh, demons? Bastard spirits. How could a spirit be a bastard spirit? Well, what is a what's a bastard? It's a product of an illegitimate union. What, does the New Test- what do the New Testament Gospels call demons as much as demons? Any other phrase? They call them unclean spirits. If you know the concept of unclean in the Old Testament, the root cause of something being unclean? Forbidden mixture. Think about that. Unclean spirit is a spirit which is a forbidden mixture. The demons of the New Testament Gospels, in the the minds of the authors of the Gospels, they are the disembodied spirits of the giant clans. Again, I'm with you on weird. It's so so weird. Okay, origin of demons. We've We've got that. Number two, why are these unclean spirits jumping out from behind every bush when Jesus comes on? the scene, but not in the Old Testament. You don't, you don't see them there. What's going on there? To understand this, you need to understand three people in the Old Testament and their relationship to the giant clans: Moses, Joshua, and David. Okay? Moses, Joshua, and David. Why, why are they significant? Well, these are the three people primarily tasked with the destruction of of the giant clan members. Moses, we know this, he goes into, the, goes into the promised land and he's told, you don't kick them out of land, you kill them, you wipe them out. Moses has told us. Joshua is the next one who has told us. In fact, we're told that he's, he's the right hand man of the captain of the Lord's army and he's tasked with wiping out the giant clan. We know David, we know that story, right? He has this battle with Goliath. And then his men, were told, they finally wipe them all out, okay? Moses, Joshua, and David, three people tasked with the destruction of these beings. Who's Jesus? Well, we're told in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says this to the people. This is like the second generation of people going into the land with all the giants. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. New Testament authors here's how they interpret it: Acts chapter three, verse twenty-three. Remember when Peter gives the huge uh, address at Pentecost? People come to look. He says this, and he says, "You know, Jesus, whom you killed, yet God has chosen." And then he goes back to this Moses passage, and he says, Acts three twenty-two: Moses said. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother. You, you shall listen to him and do whatever he tells you. And Peter goes, that's Jesus. Jesus is the second Moses. He's the new Moses, okay? Moses, Joshua. What's Jesus' name? In Hebrew, it's Yehoshua. Joshua. Aramaic, Yeshua. English, Jesus. Spanish, I mean, his name is Joshua. He's a prophet like a Moses. His name is Joshua. What's his relationship to David? What's he called in the Gospels? Son of David, right? He's the second Moses. His name is Joshua. He's the son of David. Do you see why these beings completely come out of the closet when Jesus shows up on the stage because he is the one who, who, who is the fulfillment of the three primary characters who are tasked with their destruction. What is he gonna be doing? What's going on here? So we see the origin of demons. We see why it is that they just come out all over the place when Jesus shows up. Number three, why does Jesus seem to bargain with them in this particular account? Let me read for you Mark chapter 5, verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Okay. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. What, is this a bargain? I mean, do you know what I mean by that? It almost feels like, you know, Jesus goes, okay, tell you what, you come 90% my way, I'll come 10% your way. Like, well, we'll come down on the price, you know, here. (laughs) What is going on with this, what seems to be a bargain? Jesus never bargains with unclean spirits. He just says what to do, and they obey. What is he, why is this different? I would suggest he's doing something called theological messaging to, the, to those who are watching, to those who are there. He's communicating something to them. What is he communicating? Well, what happens after he allows this? Uh, okay, what happens to the pigs? Where do they go? Into the what? The seas. What are the seas to the ancient mind? It's chaos waters. There's a, there's a whole matrix of ideas built around the seas. The seas are uh, associated with the abyss. You read the book of Job when he says, oh, I'm gonna go down to Sheol, and it's a watery place. Why is, that, why is it watery? Because it's the bottom of the seas. It's the deep. It's the abyss. It's associated with evil and darkness, because you can't live there, it's uninhabitable, and there are creepy creatures in there, right? It's a place of death, it's, it's, um, uh, it's unknown. Could be calm one minute and the next, it's wild, it's scary, are, are you with me? This is sort of the mind, mind uh, view of how the ancient people viewed the sea. So what's, what's going on here? What's the significance of the pigs? Here's the point. Jesus is saying, I will send evil where it belongs. I am the one, not just who has the authority to cast out an evil spirit, who knows where they are now. I'm the one who has the authority to to send evil where it belongs, to the abyss. He is the one who, at the end of days eschatologically speaking, the end of time, he's going to eradicate evil from this world and send it where it belongs. That's the messaging going on here. And so he takes unclean animals, pigs, which is the most unclean animal to a Jewish person, and he sends in them the unclean, the forbidden mixture, spirits, and he sends it to the abyss. He sends it to where evil belongs. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this language here, starting in verse 9. He said prior to this, because Jesus has uh, uh, humiliated himself, taking on the form of a servant, embracing the cross, because he's done that, therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Where are these knees? Every knee should bow in the heavenly realm, on the earthly realm. And what's the third place? Under the earth. The shield, Tartarus, the abyss, Hades, Sheol, whatever you want to call it. Even those who are there. They will confess, Jesus is the Lord. He's the master. He's the ruler. And every knee will bow to him. Every tongue confess, Jesus the king, that's what Christ means, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me make one kind of point of application. Um, I don't know about you, but have you noticed like movies right now? There are so many movies out that are like about demons which is the occult. I mean, it's like, it's like all over the place. It's so interesting to me. And here's, here's something that I would, I would say that scripture is giving us a warning. Not just here, it's in many, many places. A warning about a fascination with the world of the occult, with dark, intelligent powers. <clears throat> the reason the Bible prohibits contact is not because it's impossible, but because it is possible, right? Necromancy, attempting to contact the dead, séances, astral projection, uh, crystal—I mean, all of these things of ways of attempting to engage with the supernatural realm. God, again, God doesn't prohibit it because it's impossible. Uh, th- that wouldn't make any sense. Hey, don't flap your wings, people, and fly. I'm like, oh, I'm doing great on that one. Right? That's not possible. He gives a command to, of prohibition because the, the spiritual world, the unseen realm, it's very, very real. And it's very dangerous. And you have no idea what's behind the door. I would put it this way. If there's one Holy Spirit, that's the means that we're, we're, we're commanded to engage with the spiritual realms through the Holy Spirit. If there's one Holy Spirit, and let's just say a million evil spirits, if you just willy-nilly, unknowingly attempt to access the spiritual realm, your chance of getting the Holy Spirit is a million to one. It's a million to one. And it's very dark, and it's very dangerous, but it's very attractive. There's something luring about it, but it will only be to... Or destruction. Listen to the language used of the demon-possessed man. I love this language. Mark chapter 5, verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country, the people came out to see what had happened. And they came <clears throat> to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, look at the language he's used, clothed and in his right mind, Clothed is the picture of dignity. When Jesus was crucified, they stripped him of his clothing naked. That's how this man had been living, naked. Lack of dignity. Coming to Jesus will bring dignity to who you are. And in his right mind, that is rightly oriented toward the world, as opposed to how he had been out of his mind completely disoriented to the world, living in a state of chaos. And see, there are two kingdoms. There's, There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. One of them brings order, dignity, rightly oriented to the world. One brings chaos, lack of dignity, misoriented to the world because the kingdom of darkness, the goal of it is to be a lethal agent to you, to destroy God's imagers. These imagers over here, they want to destroy God's imagers over here. And so luring into the dark world, and so this would be my, just my, 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 my pastoral admonition of you. If you have tarot cards, burn them up. If you have anything that is an attempt to engage with the dark world, I promise it will bring chaos into your life. As a pastor of 20 years, who have engaged with a lot of people, believers and non-believers, I have consistently seen those who have engaged in this world, though there's a promise of it it will bring you power. Kind of like this guy here, he had powers ripped chains off and yet he was in chains internally. (laughs) It will bring utter chains to your life stay away from it. Engage in the spiritual world, yes, through the Holy Spirit. That's the only valid means this one will take you down. And it will give you the promise you have power, but it will zap every bit of power from your life. And if you're at a place where you'd say, man, that's a part of my life, come see us. We want to help you stay free from that We're going to sing some words in a minute here. These are some of the words Amazing grace. You probably know some of these. How sweet the sound of that, of God's grace. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my savior, he has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Mark chapter five, verse 18, this man. And he was, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home. Tell your friends, to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim. My guess is when he went home to his friends and he proclaimed, my guess is these were some of the words that probably were a part of his proclamation. Amazing grace sweet it was to my ears that saved a wretch like me i was so lost so lost but i've been found i I, I was blinded but i see now my chains they're gone i don't mean these ones i mean the ones that were like internal chains they're gone now my God, this is a Gentile speaking, my Savior, the God of Israel, he ransomed me, he, he, he bought me back from the powers of darkness. And like a flood, that same flood that wiped out those guys, those beings, <laughs> like that kind of power, like a flood, his mercy it reigns in my life. Unending love, that's what this God offers, unending love and amazing, amazing grace. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, your sons and your daughters. Father, I pray that if there are places of of chains in their life, Maybe, maybe it's because of decisions they've made and they, they brought that on. Maybe it was because of decisions that other people made in their life. Evil was done to them. But either way, it doesn't really matter if they're at a place where they have some of these chains from that, that maybe the dark malevolent evil powers have, have leveraged that reality in their lives. Lord, would you, would you show them all they need to do is turn to you? Would you show them that, that Jesus stands with, as it says in Matthew 28, all authority in, he- in the heavenly realms and on the earthly realms has been given to me, Jesus said. All authority and whatever powers that they may have given over to, you have all authority. May they turn to you and God, would you break those chains? Would you bring peace into their lives, would you bring order out of the chaos as only the peace of Jesus can do? And Father, may we be agents, your imagers, in your good world, may we respond to Jesus' command to go into all the world, to preach this message of what Jesus has come to do, teaching everyone to obey what you have called us to, to the life that you have called us to, and remind us that you are with us to the very end of the age. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.